the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 242. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... Stella! <laughs> and it's just Stella and I. Ed is currently occupied with some other personal stuff, so it's just going to be Stella and I. We have two books to cover, as usual. We are covering everything from the weeks of February 4th through February 17th. We have a total of two books to cover and just one actual piece of news. So let's just dive into that one piece of news. Um, so the one piece of news that came out, on February 5th, DC announced they unveiled two new imprints geared towards younger fans, DC Zoom and DC Inc. Launching this fall, younger fans of DC Comics will be getting two graphic novel imprints dedicated specifically to them. DC has announced the creation of the Young Adult Focus DC Inc. and the Middle Grade Focus DC Zoom. These two imprints will be home to authors that already have a cachet of previous work aimed at their target demographic, hopefully bringing new readers to the world of comics while also satisfying the current crop of young fans. Superheroes are more popular than ever, so it only makes sense to bring these DC characters to an entirely new generation of young readers, stated Diane Nelson, president of DC Entertainment and president of Warner Brothers Consumer Products. The first comic books created decades ago were for kids, and as the business evolved and matured, it became more focused on adult readers. DC Inc. and DC Zoom present an exciting new opportunity to grow our publishing business and ensure beloved stories built around iconic characters like Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are endeared as part of the fabric of childhood for years to come. For those who are immediately thinking of the success of the DC Superhero Girls that hasn't gone unnoticed by DC, Nelson stated, We've already experienced tremendous success with our DC Superhero Girl novels. The new DC Inc. and DC Zoom slate paired with a stellar author lineup presents a major business growth opportunity and we couldn't be more excited we're going big so the lineup is pretty impressive coming out this year under the dc inc imprint will be harley quinn breaking glass by markio tamaki with art by steve Pugh and amira novel by danielle page meanwhile the dc zoom imprint will have dc superhero girls search for atlantis by shay fontana and c lambat also just to run through some of the other ones that are coming in 2019 because when they say they're going big they are not kidding there's a massive list of stuff that's going to be coming out over the after 2018 so the ones i just mentioned are coming out in 2018 but in 2019 there's going to be batman gotham high uh, Batman Nightwalker, which is a graphic novel based off of the Marie Lu novel that she previously had already released. Teen Titans, Under the Moon, A Catwoman Tale, Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed. Those are all going to be DC Inc. issues, which are geared towards the young adult line. DC Zoom, which is the younger line between the two. Batman Tales, Once Upon a Crime, which will be done by Derek Friedolfs and Dustin Wen, bringing back their versions from Batman Little Gotham. Uh, Batman Overdrive, which is a story by Shea Fontana. Black Canary Ignite, Dear Justice League, Green Lantern Legacy, Super Sons, Superman of Smallville by Art and Franco, who are best known for their work on Tiny Titans. And then Superman Smashes the Clan, 
by Jin Yang, who's currently working on New Superman. That series will be released as periodicals first and then collected in graphic novel form. So overall, this is DC's new focus to basically bring in younger readers. If you ask me, I think it's a great idea, specifically because... You know, I can appreciate comics, but I am not a kid, and eventually I will grow old and I will die, (laughs) and if the newer generations are not interested in these characters, then you're missing out on a huge opportunity to make sure that these characters last a lifetime for multiple generations. So I'm glad that this is happening. I'm looking forward to this because that means there will be more than just Teen Titans Go, Scooby-Doo, and the random stuff that they have every once in a while that's kid-themed. I mean, it's really difficult to go and not be picking up something that's just, you know, over five years old because they don't have any Batman All Ages series anymore currently. It'll be nice to be able to go to the store and be able to purchase more stuff for my son by the time this stuff is coming out he'll be he's already he'll already be old enough to read some of this stuff but it'll be great for my younger son who's only a year old because this stuff will be coming out and he'll be getting to the age where he'll start looking at pictures so dc superhero girls has been great my my daughter absolutely loves that stuff and i can't wait for them to do this this is a humongous focus that any comic company should have not just dc Um, Anybody who wants to basically last and not just dry up because your older fans eventually just dry up and die. So, yeah. I agree with you. I think, obviously, this is a direction that any company wants, needs to go to in order to have longevity. Because, you know, there are two ways, I think, to get into comics. Either someone's getting you into comics or you're discovering them for yourself and so I think your children are lucky that they have you as a dad because you're able to give them those gateways and I think you know when they mature they'll probably grow up with those books but then there are some people that might not have parents like you so this is a good way my only issue with it is that DC is very much keeping it in the family because all of the people that you named are familiar names that are already working with DC Comics and I think perhaps one of the best ways or better ways to do it is to reach out to authors who already have a strong fan base with young adult readers. I I didn't mention all of them because I just really mentioned the ones that I was aware of but I know that some of the authors that are attached to some of those other series are best known for having their hands already on other young adult series and things like that. Okay. I just, I don't read that kind of stuff, so I don't know who exactly they are. But I remember in the press release, it was specifically pointing out that a vast majority of the authors that are attached that aren't coming from the comics world are all coming from writing very popular lines of young adult novels and stuff. So it is reaching. It's just, as far as my knowledge goes, it wasn't reaching. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to look at the list because I know Marvel had already in a way started doing this. I know you hate when I do this, but you know, Rainbow Rowell, who's really, I don't know if prolific is yet the word, but she's been tackling some tough subject matters in some of her YA books. Uh, People might most know her for Eleanor and Park, and now she's writing The Runaway. So they took someone who already had a strong fan base and people would like, and then she started writing comics. So that's really, I think, the way to go, especially giving them potentially works that they can write some of the things that they've already been talking and tackling, though maybe this is more 
they probably won't be tackling too many tough things in the DC Comics things, which is fine. But yeah, so it, I think it'll be good. I'm looking forward to see all the characters they tackle, and maybe Batgirl will have a role in the Batman High or whatever that is. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. Curious, there was actually a pitch years ago for a Batman High I TV remember that. series. Yes. Yes. And I always and when I saw that series announced, I immediately thought to myself, huh, I wonder if there's some sort of connection there. But I honestly couldn't I have no idea. I just I thought it was pretty interesting. So outside of that, there hasn't really been a whole lot of other news. Uh, we do have two new articles for last week in the Batcave because we've had two weeks past. Those post up every Monday morning and look at all of the hints and teases and pieces of art that the comic creators release over the past week over on social media. We combine all of that into one article, and Jessica presents it to you guys, along with a featured uh, Bat fan who does some sort of fan art, and she features that as well. So if you have not checked out Last Week in the Batcave, I strongly suggest that you check that out over on the site. Outside of that, there is no other news, but I'm expecting <laughs> some news. <laughs> By the next episode, we'll have sales numbers, and we'll also have solicitations. May is going to be an interesting month, specifically because we know that there's going to be some changes coming to the Justice League books, Teen Titans and Titans, but they haven't announced anything. We're recording this on Monday, which I, I, I say this all the time, but at this point, I don't really think it matters. We record this on Monday. Generally, solicitations are out on Monday. We don't normally have, we don't normally talk about them, but solicitations are not out because it was President's Day today, and there just so happens that we know that the solicitations are coming tomorrow. And I'm expecting, I'm expecting, I don't know this for sure, but I'm expecting Justice League, Justice League of America, Teen Titans, and Titans all to be announced that they're going on hiatus or they're going to have some sort of special that ties into No Justice or something like that. Because I feel like they're all of those series are going to be having new directions come June when Scott Snyder takes over Justice League. But even though he's starting on Justice League No Justice starting in May... I feel like all those other series, a lot of the characters that are actually appearing in No Justice are actually coming from some of those other series. I don't think Suicide Squad will be involved, but never say never when it comes to that. I mean, it's entirely possible Harley Quinn's involved in No Justice for whatever reason, but she's the only character who appeared in the lineup of the characters coming in No Justice that's from Suicide Squad. So it's tough to say whether or not Suicide Squad will end up being involved amongst Titans, Teen Titans, Justice League of America, and Justice League. But Justice League and Justice League of America, for sure, Titans and Teen Titans were mentioned that they will tie into whatever's happening in Justice League going forward. Scott Snyder said that on Twitter. And also Titans, for whatever reason, if you remember when we talked about solicitations last episode titans for whatever reason has an annual coming out in april despite the fact that it's not a five-week month which means they had the annual written and they're basically releasing it ahead of time it's also part of the reason why trinity is ending when it is it's ending at the end of april so there's a lot of things coming to the justice league and the team other team books that i'm expecting something to be announced i Although it normally when stuff like this is announced, we normally hear about it before solicitations come out because I normally take the opportunity to use the platform as an announcement because it strays away from it. So either they're going to have random tie-ins to No Justice, which I can't imagine why they wouldn't have announced it yet, 
or they're going to be on hiatus. But I can't see any of them starting a new storyline in May, so it'll be interesting to see what actually ends up happening with that. So, outside of that, there's no other news, so we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews, and the first book we have is Batman. Batman number 40, Super Friends Part 4. <laughs> Script, Tom King. Interiors, Joel Jones. Colors, Jordi Belair. And letters, Clayton Cowles. <sighs> of course, we pick up <laughs> where practically. I guess we don't technically. But we do see that, yes, in fact, Diana and Bruce do not kiss they hold out. And I, and something I didn't even consider, which I was super angry at myself, is that, of course, Diana has Steve Trevor. I was just raging about Batman and Catwoman, but I forgot about that, her bow there, too. But on the other side of the universe, Catwoman very much wants the gentleman to bring them back. And he's somewhat refusing, saying that he deserves a couple hours with his beloved and they go and visit, and while they're visiting, Catwoman is basically clearing her throat the entire time because she very much wants Batman back. And we get to year 37, I'm pretty sure, in the other realm, and finally they are brought back. And we find out actually that the gentleman lied, or he lied in not telling them how sort of the space-time continuum actually works over there. And so when Diana and Bruce are back, they consider whether or not they will help him out again if he asks it, but they decide that, yes, they'll still help him out, but this time they'll take Catwoman. And Bruce actually does admit to Catwoman in the end that uh, there was a moment and, you know, Catwoman does say, well, 37 years, you had a Wonder Woman. <laughs> and he said that he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good enough. And uh, that it's new for him, but he's trying. And she says, yes, we'll try harder. And all seems well, because they share a kiss above the bridge. So everything seems like it's okay at the end of <laughs> this two-issue arc. So the end on that one, that's what it says. Okay. Well, my first question actually is in regards to the interactions with Catwoman and the Gentleman. Now, I think as readers, we're on the side of Catwoman. Uh, we think that it's unfair that the Gentleman didn't tell the whole truth to Batman and Wonder Woman. And Catwoman, of course, wants her fiancé back. But did you at all feel, I mean, should there be any empathy at all towards the gentleman, because, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time to spend with his beloved. And even when he does, it's, you know, an hour or so and Catwoman is rushing him on. Are we only supposed to take Catwoman's side or was Catwoman a little bit in the wrong here and she should have uh, sacrificed a little bit and I guess by extension have Batman and Wonder Woman sacrifice even more time in allowing the gentleman to be with his, his beloved? Well... I think that by all accounts, you, we should, I mean, the guy has literally been sitting in some alternate dimension for years upon years upon years upon years, fighting hordes, surviving, but fighting and, and being away from his, his beloved. The issue is that we don't know who the heck the gentleman is. No, we don't. And 
I think that's the biggest problem with a story like this is I would actually I, I feel for gentlemen. I, I mean, when I was reading the issue, I kept thinking to myself, I get where Catwoman's coming from. I understand that she is she doesn't want Bruce to be stuck in this alternate dimension and be stuck with Wonder Woman for 30 something years. I get that that's where she's coming from, but at the same time, it's very callous to just sit there and be like, you know what? Hey man, get back to where you're supposed to go. You've had your whole 20 minutes of, you know, reunion with your, your wife. I want my fiance back. Get lost. Go back to the alternate dimension. Let my fiance come back. And the thing is like, it's very callous. And I get where Catwoman's coming from, but at the same time, it's one of those things where I think the reason why it doesn't come across super callous from Catwoman is because we don't know who the, the gentleman is. It's not a character that existed before this. It's not a character we've ever even heard of, had a mention of, anything like that before. And I think that's the biggest problem is that this character is somebody that we could care less about. Who knows if we'll ever see this character again? It's entirely possible, but... I mean, I guess with with Tom King, nothing's impossible. He tends to bring back some of the most uninteresting characters just because that's he, he plans on making them interesting. I mean, that's happened with Kite Man. It's happened with some other characters that he's worked with since he's, he started working on Batman. So it's entirely possible that this character could come back. But I just I don't find the character interesting. I don't feel bad for him because he doesn't get to see his wife longer because I don't know who the character is. <laughs> We've basically like yeah. it, it seems like some sort of weird thing. Like Batman and Wonder Woman, they promised that they would help this guy out. They went and they did this not knowing what exactly they were going to get into. So they just blindly said, yes. Yes, we will help you out. And then he randomly shows up one day and says, hey, I want that help now. Go off to this alternate dimension, but I'm not going to explain anything about what you're doing. I mean, they knew they were going to battle, but they didn't know how long they were going to be gone. That whole time situation, I don't think they knew any of that. And to me, it feels like Tom Kane was trying to figure out a way to include Wonder Woman, do the specific thing he was trying to do with the whole cliffhanger that he had going with the kiss at the end of the last issue and he was trying to figure out how to do that without it coming across as you know completely disrespecting Catwoman so the only way he could do it is if he had time so he had to create a character that was part of some alternate dimension that existed in this area where time would travel a lot faster than our dimension the whole thing seems crazy convoluted just to get to what he was trying to accomplish which is to get Batman and, and Wonder Woman to potentially kiss. And I think that's the biggest problem I have, and that's why I don't care whether or not Gentleman gets to spend an hour or five minutes or anything. I mean, I just mm -hmm. I just don't care because I don't think the character was built. Like, it'd be a completely different story if this was hinted at issues ago. If it was, like, something that came up and it was like, oh, Wonder Woman calls him up or we hear mention of it somewhere else. Even if it didn't happen in, in Batman, like, somewhere... Somewhere, the mention of this character would have been better than, than nothing than just him showing up and then this whole situation. Yeah, I agree with you. I think part of it is that, you know, we might not have, ha have as much empathy or sympathy towards this character because we don't know 
him as much or really who he is. As I was reading it, you know, from a reader perspective, obviously you very much want Bruce back with Selena, and so I'm on her side. But also, if you sort of step back, even if it is a stranger, you kind of have to think about what's going on in, on his perspective. And no, it wasn't completely on the up and up, but you sort of feel bad that he's been trapped for however many years. It might be more than 37, I assume. And then, you know, he only has a little bit of time with her. So I did feel bad about that. Uh, it, it did make me think. But in the end, I guess you're just supposed to sort of go along with uh, with Selena there. My other question is in regards to just this arc in general. It seems like Tom King, and I think we talked about this two episodes ago, that with these interactions with these super friends team-ups, that Bruce is learning a little bit something about himself. We're learning a little bit something about Bruce. And I think also Bruce is perhaps, or both of them are learning something about how to have a relationship or perhaps how to have a marriage. And so what do you think we can get from this particular team up or this short little arc here, these two issues? What has Bruce and Catwoman learned about marriage perhaps? Or what have we learned about those characters from these two issues? Well, it goes back to when we were talking about the last issue. I said that I thought that the whole story was being told because Tom King wants everybody to know that Batman is in fact serious about his relationship with Catwoman and I and I said that I didn't think she was he was actually going to kiss Wonder Woman I I felt like that wasn't going to actually happen Mm -hmm. all of that and it's it was exactly what I said but the thing is the the weird thing about the entire situation is the weird wordage that happens at the very end of the issue where Bruce comes back and Catwoman says, you know, you were you were away for 30-something years with a Wonder Woman. Sure. Were you bad? And he says, no, but I wasn't good enough or something in that regard. Hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, like, but he didn't do anything. Like, sure, he was tempted, but it seems like a very weird weird thing to say. Like, I'm not, I, no, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I wasn't bad, but I wasn't good enough. I'm trying. What What is he trying? I, I don't understand, like, the wordage there. It just... To me, that dialogue doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if you have some insight on that dialogue, but I didn't. I didn't understand the. In- I guess it's just that he was even tempted. Like he should have just been one hundred percent faithful to her, and he's trying because I think it's just very different for him to be in a serious relationship. So I think that's in the sense of trying. It's not like he's a a serial cheater or anything like that. I think it's just this is very different for him, and so he's trying really hard to be different than he normally is. Yeah. And I guess I see that, but I just, the thing is like, it's such an extreme situation where he just basically almost spent 40 years of his life, not aging in a different dimension. And yes, time did not pass that much here, but that situation is a very extreme situation. And to sit there and say, yes, I was, I, I was tempted, you know, I shouldn't have been tempted. I'm sorry. I don't know very merry, very many married males who can't say that they don't, you know, they don't, they they keep their eyes specifically for their wife and they don't look at anybody else ever. It's impossible for them to do that. I mean, like, I just don't see that happening. I think the society in general is not is not there where men do not look. It's a whole different story between looking, being potentially tempted, and actually doing something. Sure. But I guess that's that's my my take on that. The whole thing that I guess between Catwoman and Batman is I guess like 
like I said, they're just trying to, Tom King is just trying to reaffirm that one, Batman is completely committed to Catwoman. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. He is trying to make sure that everybody realizes, hey, you know how we've had these little moments between Batman and Wonder Woman over the years? Let's put them in an extreme situation and see, and just show, just, just to show you how committed Batman really is. Look at everybody. He, he's a good guy. He, he's, 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 he's watching out for, you know, his relationship with Catwoman. And that's what, that's what this was. I mean, like, do I, do I actually learn anything about either one of the characters? No, no, not at all. I mean, I, in some ways, it felt like Catwoman was a little bit. Jealous isn't really the word, I think. I mean, obviously, she's a little bit jealous or worried about the potential of them being gone for as long as they were and her thinking that something potentially could have happened. I don't know if that, you know, I guess if you want to, like, really overanalyze it, you could look at it and say, does she completely trust him in his decision-making, knowing that this all was going to happen? Um, does she trust him that he wouldn't do anything? Is that why she was, like, sitting there, like, snapping her fingers, pointing at the, her watch on her arm so that way the gentleman hurry the, hurries up so that uh, Bruce comes back because she doesn't trust that Bruce can do it? Like, I guess that's that's a possibility, but I don't... I don't want to look at it like that because I don't think that that's the intent. I think it's just one of those situations where this was an extreme situation. He didn't do anything. And honestly, it just comes down to, I mean, like, it's sort of frustrating because I honestly don't understand. I mean, like, like I said last episode, I don't like I, I see what he was trying to accomplish from the very beginning here. I just don't understand why he chose to do this because ultimately, what do we come out of this knowing? Like, okay, so Bruce is committed to Catwoman, but wasn't he already committed to Catwoman before we went into the story? So, I mean, like, I guess it's trying to like further cement that, but it's going to become even weirder if something ends up happening in a couple issues where there, you know, it's something even worse. Something something happens and, and then there's a negative reaction or the wedding doesn't actually occur or whatever actually ends up happening. It would be pretty strange to sit there and say he was stuck in an alternate dimension for almost 40-something years and that he had no problem overcoming, but he's not going to be able to overcome something. So at this point, if they don't go the route of actually getting married... I'm not real sure what the point of this story was. So they better get married at this point. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would think that Catwoman is jealous here. I, I think she very much is a possessive person. I think that she wants him back. And finding out that he's been in there for... I don't even know what the, the correct mathematical term would be. But, I mean, 37 years to however long they've been hanging out here, a day less than, it, I think she understands that probably the situation over there is not good and she just wants him back. For me, I feel like, I, I think the characters learn about marriage, but in two different, very different ways. I think through the unending hordes and the fact that both Batman and Wonder Woman want to give up at some point, but they both have this sort of rallying cry of together and then they repeat it and then they go off into battle. I think Bruce almost learns in this, even though it's not Catwoman that he's dealing with, but I mean, marriage very much is a partnership and that there are going to be tough times and that you just have to persevere and you do this together. And I think in a certain way, it was very much a, a trial, a test for him, even though, again, it wasn't Wonder Woman, so maybe that doesn't work out. But for Wonder Woman, it's interesting because I think she was going in with these preconceived notions of what marriage is. But you can 
tell with her conversation with the gentleman that perhaps it's it's different than what she expected. But the gentleman basically says, you know, I don't know exactly what marriage is, but I love her. Um, and I, I think it certainly gives something for, for Catwoman to contemplate. So I think in this one, because, well, I guess with the Lois and Superman, they're also learning different things as well. They're both sort of coming to their own ideas and, and conclusions, but I think they're also growing in their ideas of, of what this partnership and this marriage is going to look like. This was a little, I think, shakier potentially than the Lois and Superman one, because I thought that that was so skillfully done. And again, you know, Catwoman's learning whatever she's learning from this guy that we have no idea who he is. So you know, take it, take it as you will. I will say that it was interesting that Wonder Woman referenced Jumpa, Jumpa, her giant kangaroo. <laughs> and I had to look up Jumpa because I thought, surely this has to be a reference. Tom King's not just going to drop anything in there. And yeah, she, I mean, it was this race of giant kangaroos that they could ride. And Jumpa was a pet and also a crime fighter. And I think she first appeared in Sensational Comics number six. So <laughs> there you go. In case you were wondering about about Jumpa. But right now, final question, would you rate this? It'll be interesting. I don't know how long the Super Friends thing is going to go, but would you rate this overall below the Superman and Lois issues? You know, it's ugh, that's that's hard to say because really? I'm looking at I'm actually Here's the thing. I'm looking at the the ratings that I gave and I already wrote down my rating of what I was going to give this issue and when I total out what I gave this issue in the last one and then the two Superman ones, I think the Superman ones actually end up being higher, which I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't think this is necessarily a bad story. I just feel like it needs to have some sort of reason or, or I don't know. It just needs to have a reason. And the thing is, like at this point, I don't know what the reason of this story was because, like I said, if something ends up being able to pull those two apart but it wasn't 40 years worth of time and the thought of potentially dying on a separate in a, in a separate dimension i don't know what will sure. i mean and honestly and that's the thing so like if they don't get married i might have to come back to the story and say you know what that story sucked that should have never happened because but at this point in time i don't think it was a bad story i definitely liked the superman one uh, yeah i would agree with you i think that that was just more well done and i got more enjoyment out of it but uh yeah i mean this is tr troubling and it also is thought provoking which i guess is a sign of good storytelling but again i just don't like the unnecessary drama with even having batman and wonder woman lean in and now i'm upset at wonder woman for also doing it when she's like of course we can't do it i've got steve trevor what what so there you go all right so this issue i'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five i'm going to give it a three out of five all right and over on the website corbin gave it four out of five so it's going to give corbin corbin's back he's on batman now <laughs> and he needs to explain himself <laughs> and if you would like his explanation be sure to head over to the website to read his review Nice little plug there. Mm -hmm. All right, so Batman's going to get a total of three and a half out of five. Bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. <laughs> Detective Comics number 974, written by James Tynion IV, art by 
Felipe Brionis and colors by Alan Pasquilla. This issue starts off with Basil's body melting into clay as Cash shrieks in agony. Steph, Tim, and Dr. October rush to her side, and Dr. October uses her technology and knowledge of monstrous biology and weapons to deduce that Batwoman's bullet destabilized Basil's body completely, killing him instantly. Batman arrives on Kate's rooftop, smashing the clayface killing gun, and orders her to stand down. Batman and Batwoman face off, Bruce outraged at her taking a life, Kate furiously defending her choice to save hundreds of lives from out-of-control Clayface, including Cass, who is right next to the rapidly expanding ex-villain. Tim, Steph, and Cass arrive. Red Robin argues that they must always find another way, but Cass takes it a, a little bit further, ripping the bat off of Kate's uniform. She tries to tell Kate that the bat is special, and it means that they never kill. Batman embraces Cass, telling her it will be okay, and telling Kate to take a break from the active duty lineup. She is taken aback, as are Batwing and Azrael, who just arrive on the rooftop. Batman draws the line. Luke and Jean-Paul can stay with him and the younger knights, or leave with Kate. Three days later, Dr. October administers the cure to Mudface, turning her back into Glory Griffin again. Though the doctor is deeply, intensely angry at Glory for what she did to Basil, Basil himself had determined that Glory needed a second chance no matter what happened to him. Dr. October leaves, telling Glory to make her second chance worth Basil's sacrifice. In Robin's Nest, Steph arrives. Tim is trying to build the second belfry, but notices she came in civilian clothes. He says that he can make it work, but she says he's losing himself. She leaves, telling him she loves him, but she needs to be out of Gotham since she can't watch him turn into Bat-Tim from the future. Tim collapses on the ground, and Batman steps out from the shadows. Tim cries that he can't see a way to avoid becoming Bat-Tim since Bruce makes all the same decisions which lead down that path, the curse of Batman, one that Tim can never escape. In her own Batcave, Kate rests and broods. Jacob Kane arrives and tells her that she's proud, that he's proud of her, and offers her the chance to lead the colony again. She looks pensive. Watching the knights disintegrate on many monitors, Ulysses Armstrong, the general, tells himself and his copy of Brother Eye that the time has come for his plan to accelerate the chaos. And that is the end of the issue. All right, so a couple things. The first thing is, Clayface is as they put it, officially dead. He is dead. So we, we talked about this last episode. If Clayface is dead, is there a possibility that we see some other Clayfaces pop up in the future? I don't think it's necessary for that to happen immediately in the next year or so, but it takes Clayface off the table, and do you think that this will stick, or do you think that he will return, or do you think we're just going to get the continuation of and move along to the, you know, Clayface 2, 3, 4, so forth and so on. So I just want to toot my, toot, toot, toot my little horn a little bit because I did. If you recall, I answered your question very oddly. You said that wasn't the answer I was looking for. But a couple episodes ago, you asked what we expected to happen in this story. It might have been the annual, so I guess I was a little bit wrong. But I said that. I expect Clayface to die in Cassandra Kane's arms. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Uh, this was a very tragic issue, actually. I, I feel like he is dead, dead. You know, not many people 
die and stay dead forever. But when Dr. October is uh, basically saying that it's it was only mud there, it seems pretty likely that that might happen. Though, because of how it was very odd, because she's very clinical in the way she's like doing her experimentations, and then all of a sudden she starts crying. But so I guess she does have emotions and feelings. But I feel like, given her and how it seemed like there was a, a deep-rooted attachment to Clayface, maybe she'll experiment and bring him back. But I think if that ever happens, it'd be a long, long time down the road. I think we need to have this death sink in. But I will say that he's dead dead. Do we expect to see more Clayfaces? Hmm. I would question how they would come about. Because we've got the Mudface, or whatever her name is. We've got her cured, with little quotation marks. And because... This seems now inorganic material that we found. I don't really know how it would come about, uh, you know, without Roland Daggett's little face cream that he sells in Batman the Animated Series. I think it'd probably be best to just go away from Clayface because I think, you know, he's been around for however many issues here. He's been on this team, and now we have sent him off. So I think to have more Clayfaces come back, out of nowhere, I think would be damaging to his legacy here, um, as well as, I, I don't know if that's necessarily good storytelling, if all of a sudden we're going to a Clayface well, instead of other potential characters that we could have. So that's just my thought. I'm hoping not. Well, my take on this is I would probably, I, I foresee some other Clayface showing up at some point. It feels like, at least with Tinian that he has a focus on using utilizing characters from the 90s, and Basil was not the Clayface that was focused on in the 90s. It's part of the reason why Matt Hagen was focused on in the animated series, was because Basil really wasn't the focus in a lot of the comics leading up to the 90s and so forth and so on. So I feel like if Tinian was going to have a Clayface, it would probably be Hagen, but... Basil was already existing within the New 52, and to carry over the character, especially since the character was part of Batwoman's team in the New 52 before her series got canceled, it makes sense that he would just continue on and use Basil, but in this way, he takes the character off the board. Now, yes, is it how how is it possible that somebody else could pop up? Well, obviously, there's a there's a cure. We know that now, but there has to be another possibility of someone coming across the face cream or someone who knows the story of how Clayface became Clayface, Mm -hmm. you know, using it against somebody else. There has, it's just bound to happen. I just, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I feel like if somebody has a story to tell, let's say two or three years from now, and it has Clayface in it, they're going to be using Clayface, like they're going to be using a different Clayface. They're not going to bring basil back from the dead because there's no reason to there there really isn't it's not like clayface has to be basil you know clayface is clayface regardless so when mm. you're making merchandise on clayface it's still clayface it doesn't sure. doesn't make a difference who's underneath the clay mm-hmm. so in that regard i don't see there being any reason why they would need to bring basil back the next question i have is so we see the team basically fracturing it seems like there's basically two sides of this you have batman tim and cass and then you have Batwoman, Batwing, Ugh. and Azrael. Yeah. Spoilers gone. Yep. She ain't part of either side. She's <laughs> leaving town. I don't know what's the future of that. So before we talk about spoiler, because that's a whole different question I want to ask. Her own title. So we see the teams, the team fractured in two, basically. Mm-hmm. 
You have two different sides. You have the side that is all about you don't ever kill, and then it seems like the other side is, well, you kill when it's necessary. Makes sense from Azrael. I can't say it makes sense from Batwing because Bat- Batwing doesn't... I mean, I guess the only way I can make sense of it is that Batwing is very technological, statistical, things like that. So him think he, he probably... He might think in a way where he says the cost of one life is better than the cost of 100 lives. I could see that, but it it doesn't fall in line with the entire idea of what Batman has ever been trying to accomplish. So I don't know why Batwing would have ever been brought in if that was his thinking method since Batman was the one who brought him into the fold and gave, you know made him Batwing. So... The two sides of the team, I mean, obviously this is going to be the, the direction that they're going to be going. They're going to, we're going to be seeing the, these two sides basically face off each against each other for a little while. Are you sure about it? It's sure about what, them facing off? Yes. I'm almost positive based off of the stuff in the solicitations okay. that Kate and Jacob align and the colonies involved. I don't know how bad. I don't know if Batwing and Azrael get involved in what Kate's doing. Okay. But there was a cover that was released, I want to say for April, that showcases Kate standing alongside Azrael and Batwing, if I remember correctly. And it clearly made it seem as if those three were in line with each other. And the solicitation read something in the regards of, like, you know, the battle lines have been drawn and blah, blah, blah. So I'm guessing that's what's going on. I don't know how they get to it. I don't know why they would actually face each other. Mm-hmm. It seems like if Kate made them this decision, the decision from Batman is you're not going to be on this team anymore because we don't kill. Right. She just kicked off the team, and then they just go about as separate teams, you know, doing the same stuff, fighting crime. And Batman's probably just a little pissed if they decide to go a step further. But this is a, this is the first time this has happened, and unless it continues to happen, I don't know why Batman would have an issue with that team working on their own because Kate was working on her own for quite some time before she joined up on this team. But anyway, back to the the team. So we have we have these two teams. Do you feel like the the characters as drawn between these two teams? belong on each side or do you feel like there's anybody who warrants going over to the other side no the reason why i pressed you is because i felt i feel like this panel is leading us astray because i think in the moment they're agreeing with batwoman's actions but i didn't really foresee them actually forming up a team especially with the end of this issue it just seemed like it was kate jacob and then the colony so that's why i mean i trust you i just wondered i feel like just in this moment they agree with her but not always no i think all those people on the left side need to be on the left side i wonder about uh, even i really think it'd be everyone against Kate. I don't know. I mean, Azriel is sort of brutal, but I feel like not in this particular era. And then Batwing, I don't know. I think the only thing I would disagree with is that anyone was on Kate's side, but I think the line being drawn, the left is absolutely all those people that I would see over on the left. I'd agree with, there's nobody on the, the side with Batman that I would think would not be on that side. There's there's nobody at all. The Azrael thing I could see if he was the character from the 90s. The problem, or even the character from Batman and Robin Eternal when he was reintroduced. But I don't think that's the way the character has come across in Titan's run. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, like, is there enough there where I could make it make sense? Sure. 
But the way the, the character has been written, at least since Tynan has used the character in Detective Comics, it w- doesn't really fall in line with what you would expect. The other part of it is maybe Batwing and Azrael go off on their own. I mean, they've been working together for a while. Just they you, sh- they, you know, they show them going on. They were the two who faced off against Clayface together in the sewers by themselves. We've seen them interacting with each other when they were programming the, the bat robots and stuff like that. So I'm guessing that maybe those two go off on their own and just because they're not aligned, maybe something happens where they get thrusted into having to pick a side and then they end up on the side with Kate. But you're right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for those two to be on. It seems like everybody who's part of the bad family, regardless of who you are, you wouldn't be part of the bad family if your choice was, hey, we're okay with killing somebody. It just doesn't, I mean, like, obviously things can happen, accidents can occur, mistakes can be made. This was not a mistake. This was a premeditated takedown of somebody, regardless of whether it was Clayface as a villain or Basil or whatever. Like, is it possible that he could have killed a bunch of people? Yes. But as Tim says, it's their job to always come up with another way. So... I can't imagine anybody being on the team if Batman knew that they were capable of doing something like this. Kate has always seemed like she could do something like this, but I don't I never actually pictured her being able to do something like this, even if it was for some reason like we're being shown. So that's the biggest thing. It's it's one of those things where it seems like they're trying to make Kate more militarized. Well yeah, and she had that little speech. That she had, like yeah, you know, no one would exactly. question a soldier given you know orders exactly. of, if we're in the situation. Yeah, I yeah, and and she has that military background, but it also seems like all of a sudden we're delving into this military background. Exactly, and the biggest problem, yeah, the biggest problem with the military stuff though is like it's definitely in line with what the mili- how the military would think and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing is, she left the her, her whole character, her whole persona of being Batwoman is based off of she couldn't stay in the military because the military didn't, she didn't agree with the stuff that the military was, whether it was just about the don't ask, don't tell policy, whether it was about their, whatever, whatever else it was, she didn't agree with them. So to have her so hardline and say, this is how the military would react to something like this. It just doesn't come across as the correct characterization for her. Mm Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to talk about is, so Steph is seemingly leaving the team. Well, not seemingly. She she definitely is leaving the team, it seems like, for now a second time in less than two years. So here's my question that I'll pose to you before I go off on my rant about this. Sure. The question is, this is the second time Steph is leaving the team. In as much as two years, and the first reason was she didn't agree with everything that happened because she felt as if Batman was putting people in danger, and that's and, and it was a direct relation to what happened with Tim Drake, assumingly dying, and that's that's why she left the team was because after the whole situation with the first victim and the victim syndicate, she realized that maybe Batman was putting these people in danger, and it was it was bad. Now. We already poked holes in that entire thought process multiple times in the past because she still went out on her own without any sort of backup, without anybody else helping her or looking out for her. 
and still was fighting crime and beating up criminals and all of that stuff. So it's one of those things where if that it was her concern, why did she leave Batman's team in the first place? She's still a young person. She still is in harm's way, whether or not she's working underneath Batman or not. So I don't understand the difference. We poked holes in that. Now she's leaving because she feels like the, the path that Tim is on is that Tim is going to become this evil version of Batman no matter what happens. Doesn't it kind of seem like Steph is being written poorly? I, I mean, maybe you don't feel that way, but that's how I feel. So before I go into my rant, I will let you give your thoughts. You mean basically her consistency here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> her consistency, I mean, it yeah. just comes across as like she's like, like the best way I could describe it is she's very wishy-washy. You know, she, whenever it, it suits her yeah. or her thoughts she'll be on that side. But as soon as it mm-hmm. doesn't suit her thoughts, then she doesn't agree with it. Like this entire time she thought that Tim was going to just pack up and leave because that's what his intent was before. Now everything's changed. And now she's decided she's going to pack up and leave because he's going to become this evil person. She doesn't have any desire to try to prevent that from happening by staying on the team and making sure that he doesn't become basically a, 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 a younger version of Batman. She just decides, I don't want to see this happen. See you later. Uh, yeah, well, this whole issue, I think, was very frustrating because I didn't think that Kate... I feel like Kate is sort of written out of character right now as well. I guess that's just her new path. Yeah, with Steph, yeah, we have been sort of questioning her motives all along. And I, I think she rejoined, she re-upped, <laughs> as the military says, because she wanted to be with Tim. And we all felt that that was a, probably a poor decision. And she was also being naive because, and actually he was lying to her as well, if you recall, because he said that, he was going to go back to college when all this was done, but he actually had written or whatever or called the college and said he wasn't going to go back at all. So she's under this false assumption here. No, I, I don't think that <laughs> it's, you know, well-written. She shouldn't have been on the team anyways, quite honestly. I can see why she was, because she wants to be with him. He just came back from the dead. Um, but as things started to get worse and worse, there were multiple times that she should have left. But now we're at this sort of climax, and it might actually be the worst time to leave because she even calls it a war, you know, whatever it is between Tim and Batwoman. So it's like the worst time. If, if there ever a time to be on the team and have some solidarity, it would be now. But on the other hand, you can't stand by and fight for something that you're not necessarily on board with. So I can see, well, I'm going to listen to what, whatever your, your rant's going to be. You know, I can see her being there and somehow being the support system if he is going to turn into evil Tim. But the fact is that I, I feel like Tim is such a strong personality that he's going to turn into evil Tim, future Tim, I should say, with or without her. I don't know that she would be the one to come back from that edge because they've already had multiple conversations about that point and he sort of dismissed her entirely. I don't like that basically she, it seems like, she's being written out of the book in a pretty weak way. I, I, I can't wait for that in your rant. But I don't know what else could be done with it because that's putting a lot of pressure on that character for her to just sit around and watch what's going on and basically do the same thing she's been doing, which is complaining without anyone listening to her. So between being written like that or being off book, I guess it might be better to be off book. Yeah, so I'll start with the the whole let's get her out of the book. If she ends up completely leaving the book off of this situation, it seems 
Like, I don't really understand what the reason she was around in the first place was. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I want the character around. I want the character to be involved in everything that's going on. I appreciate the fact that she came back in the pages of Batman Eternal. But at the same time, it's one of those things where, I mean, like, what has she actually accomplished or served the team in any way since she's been a part of this team in Detective Comics? I mean, like... She had the situation with Anarchy where Anarchy basically, whatever, hacked her phone and used her to, you know, for this plan. But other than that, like, that's just a plot point. Now she, you know, they had the entire situation where they had someone else who could be grieving the death of Tim Drake outside of Bruce. But that, I mean, like, that wasn't really covered a whole lot because they went straight into the victim syndicate after the, well, actually, they went straight into the Monster Town, Night of the Monsters storyline before they went into the victim syndicate. But there was absolutely zero time in between that for them to properly mourn. They had, like, that one simple page where they had batman you know consoling her but other than that none of them actually addressed it she just got super angry she was able to be basically manipulated by the victim syndicate and then all of that leads to her leaving the team and then still being manipulated by anarchy only to come back to the team willy-nilly just because tim drake is not dead he's alive and i guess that was the only reason she ever left was because she was just she just left the team because he was dead not because of her conflict of interest with the way batman ran the team or he runs the sidekicks or anything like that no it was just because tim was dead because she came back she's used as a plot point yet again by showing that her phone was hacked or whatever to and used for this whole plan with 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 clayface so all of this comes down to now she's leaving the team again. So like she of all the characters, even though they had moments where they focused on her and story parts where they gave her a little bit more focus, she hasn't really been used in a way that has actually been beneficial to the team. I mean, quite honestly, it just comes across as like the the character has been here for no other reason but for fan service. And I really, it kind of upsets me because the thing is, this is a character that deserves a little bit more than that. I would still like to see, as I've mentioned multiple times in the past, to see a story that has like Tim Drake, Cass, and spoiler. Sure. And if you want to throw Harper Row in there, even though I don't like the character, throw Harper Row in there. I don't care that she hasn't had a whole lot of interaction <laughs> with anybody on the team uh. since basically the Azrael storyline. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's bad if you mention Harper. <laughs> yeah it is you know that yeah. i mean but the thing is like that would have been something good i mean like her Cass, and harper have been roommates all this time but you don't really see any of them really interacting with each other and you haven't seen any of that happen since the intelligence storyline which happened at the beginning of last summer so the thing is like it's it's really sad because if she ends up just not being in the book for the foreseeable future that's a shame but the other part of this is i <sighs> This whole situation with her thinking that Tim is destined to become future Bat, Bat Tim, whatever, the fact that she's convinced that this is going to happen is super, super frustrating. Like, I'm not one to believe that your destiny is predetermined. Mm. I'm not, I, I don't believe that. Okay. You know, I don't believe that if someone, if someone from the future comes back and says, in the future, you will be this, you're going to be a serial killer and you're going to murder a million people that you can't figure out like and that person disappears that you yourself can't go about changing the path that you're on. I truly believe that you can change your path. 
That being said, the fact that she's so determined that he was going to become this just because he's not going to go to school and just because he's not going to leave the team, it's super frustrating because I feel like she is a character who she she loves him. She, you know, she is 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 one of the few people in his life that is not just about being a superhero. I mean, yeah, he depending on what what stories they want to they want to pull from obviously Bruce adopts him in some stories because his parents are are not around anymore but then there's and and obviously they have that relationship but the problem is he knew Bruce first because of Batman not because of anything else and yes in the original stories he knew Steph because of being her being spoiler and all of that but the thing that concerns me is the fact that like their relationship was more based outside of the costumes than inside the costumes, in my opinion. Other people would probably might might not agree with that, but I feel like their relationship was the one relationship that Tim really had with somebody that wasn't just about being a superhero. He had that with his dad, but his dad's his the relationship he had with his dad, Jack Drake, sure. was was a, was like just there to be there to serve as comedic relief when he doesn't show up on time and he has to get grounded. And things like that. But it just comes across as like their relationship would have been the relationship that makes the most sense outside of the costumes. And for her to just basically say, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to become this. You're not going to go to school. You're not going to stop doing this. You're on the path that's going to make you this evil version of Batman. I can't be around it. See you later. It's not that it's it's out of character by any means. Because I think anybody in this situation would be upset. But it feels way too force that she has to doesn't but he also believes it too or do you think he just believes it because she He does believe it yes but i wonder if he believes it i honestly feel like he believes that that this is going to happen because she is convinced that it's going to happen and that might not actually be how it is but it feels like just because he doesn't even mention the whole situation with him becoming future tim or future bat batman tim whatever he doesn't even mention it until she says that stuff to him i mean like he knows that something's about to happen with kate because that's been looming because that was basically the prelude to what's this entire story because of the future tim telling him hey this is what happens kate's gonna do something that's gonna fracture the team that's gonna set you on this path that turns you to become what what I am, this this evil future Batman. The thing is that I honestly believe that he doesn't believe that his destiny is set either. But when I think that when she sits there and says, I can't be around you, that's how you're going to become. You're going to become this, and I don't want to be around to see you become this. I think it just cements it in his head like, oh crap, this person I deeply care about just basically left me because she's convinced that I'm going to turn out to be an evil Batman in the future. And I think that, I mean, and that might not be the way that it's, it's, it's meant to be, but it just comes across to me is if, if I was dating somebody and I was actually truly in love with them and they just basically told me, I can't be with you because what you're becoming is horrible and I don't want to see you become this horrible person. I mean, like if we were an extremely serious relationship, I can't comprehend how that would not affect my mindset on what I'm going to become. I mean, that would be a humongous thing. It's like a trigger. You know, I'm watching the show Mindhunter on Netflix right now, and they talk about triggers, then the serial killers, and how, you know, they certain things will just trigger them into believing something very specific. And I'm just thinking, 
I'm probably making way too many connections, but it just comes across as this would make it even worse for him because he's now he's being told by somebody that he truly cares about and is supposed to love him potentially no matter what, that she can't be around him because he's going to become evil. So that's a, that's a trigger for him. I guess so. Well, I mean, that's the way I see it. <laughs> you know, you were... You were <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I, I love that you went on a little rant of defending Stephanie because a lot of people, I think, don't defend Stephanie. Her personality, I think, and her character is not suitable for this particular book. I think she was here for, for Tim and Cass, and I think that works. But I think the other people, it's sort of stifling for her. And I feel like she would be better served in another book with potentially other female characters in there or Harper Rowe because I just think that the character is written better when she's surrounded by those people not being stamped down constantly by, like, male ego and everything, like, being overwhelmed by it. So... I don't know about it. I don't know. There's not really much I can add to that. I mean, <laughs> this this issue and I, I thought was just particularly frustrating, not only with um, Steph, but also with Kate. So I'm not really sure where this book is going. Neither do I. I mean, <laughs> the one the one thing that I can hope for, and I can't remember exactly how this pertains, and maybe it's just because I saw the cover I want to say that there is some sort of situation that's going to occur in the upcoming issues where Tim and Bruce are going to be at odds, but I can't remember how it all falls in line with everything else that's going on because I don't remember all of the solicitations that are coming out for March and April at this point. But the the thing that I'm trying to remember is I feel like there was a cover that shows like Tim leaving the Batcave as Batman's like sulking or whatever. And I think I thought to myself, the only thing that I could think of that would like redeem this entire situation with Steph is if this actually causes Tim to like completely readjust his entire attitude on things and take like a step back and say, you know what? Maybe I need to not be so involved and be trying to do so many different things right now. You know, I've I've done good for the city. Maybe I need to take a step back. And the step back is to distance himself from Batman so that he doesn't have Batman. And I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I don't like the idea of Tim going off on his own. We saw that in the entire New 52 where he was not involved in the Bat family at all. But something happens where also Cass goes with him. And then Steph sees that he's trying to make himself distant from Batman, and then the three of them go and form this magical team that I've been, you know, hunting for for a while now. Sure. That's the only thing that that would be great, because then not only would you not have that stifling that you mentioned for uh, of Stephanie's personality, mm-hmm. you could have Cass flourish a little bit more because they could focus on her, but then you can also have Tim... Just be Tim. Even if Tim's like, you know, I'm going to take a step back and I'm actually going to be the one who sits in the cave in like the Oracle type position mm. and the, you know, cast and spoiler grow out there. That could be interesting. I don't know. I guess I'm just too hung up on this idea of this team. I really want this team. That I happen, mean, but... he's the one who needs to take a break, quite, quite honestly. Tim is. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, Detective Comics, I'm going to give this issue a total of two and a half out of five. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Two and a half out of five. And I was scratching my brain. You might remember. Wasn't there another book? Uh, maybe New 52. Where someone had ripped off the bat symbol until they felt like, oh, wait a minute. It was Batgirl. 
Batgirl. It was Batgirl New 52, right? She ripped off the symbol like around the time that James Jr. had maybe yep. died. Okay. So yep. I was flashing back to whatever when this happened when he or Cass, I guess, ripped it off. Okay. Yeah, it's two and a half a, out of five. It's, a, it's become an oddly common thing. But anyway, all right. So over on the website, Ian gave it two and a half out of five. And if you thought I didn't like it, everything that was going on, be sure to check out Ian's review over on the website. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of two and a half out of five patterings. I think that's actually the lowest rating we've ever given Detective Comics in quite some time. But that's what happens when the characters are so out of character. All right, so with that, that is all of our in-depth reviews. We're going to jump over to the site for Greater Gotham. First up, on February 7th, main TBU books, Batman number 40, we already talked about. Nightwing number 38, Nightwing breaks into a casino to come face-to-face with the judge. This is by Paul. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Mm, I'd give it a neutral. Harley Quinn number 37, Harley is pimping her enforcement services as Harley for Hire, a hero helper around NYC as Penguin expands his operations to the city. This is by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Bane Conquest number 9, Bane hires a variety of specialists to pull a job while Bird lines up some extra heavy ordnance from Steppenwolf. This is by David. He gave it 4.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Mother Panic special number 1, Mother Panic comes across what appears to be Batman as a local pastor recruiting children as future sidekicks as part of the Milk Wars event. This is by Bob. He gave it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. The Milk Wars. Abstain. Secondary TBU books, Batman White Knight, number five, Neo Joker and Mad Hatter are hot on the trail of the Wayne Fries connection as Batman finally pushes Gordon over the edge. This is reviewed by Adul. He get four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. The Shadow Batman, number five, Robin faces off against Ra's al Ghul. The Shadow is tortured by Shuang Quan and Batman searches for them both. This is by Paul. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica number five. Harley and Ivy's body swap with Betty and Veronica finally ends, but now the ladies have to deal with the fallout from the freaky event. This is about Jerry. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Just League number 38. The Flash is to the rescue as the League regroups. This is by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Secondary DC Universe books, Bombshells United number 11, which included digital chapters 21 through 22, the bombshell versions of Batwoman, Question, Talia al Ghul, Jason Todd, and Hederick appear in the issue. Green Arrow number 37, Black Canary, Kate Spencer, Batman, and Robin all appear in the issue. Injustice 2 number 19, which includes digital chapters number 37 through 38, the Injustice versions of Batman, Batgirl, Catwoman, Harley Quinn, and Red Robin all appear in the issue. Swamp Thing, Winter Special, number one. Batman, James Gordon, and Solomon Grundy all appear in the issue. Young Monsters in Love, number one. Batman, Man Bat, <laughs> Francine Langstrom, and Solomon Grundy all appear in the issue. Next up, we've got February 14th, Main TBU Books, where he talked about Detective Comics. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number 19. Batgirl has been keeping a secret from the other birds, and her deceit ends up causing mm. tragedy for one of their friends. This is by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I haven't read it yet, but I don't like what you just said. 
Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19. I won't I won't spoil it for you. Thank you. <laughs> Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19. Despite the pretense of a date, Artemis and Jason begin to secretly discuss their fear of the change Bizarro. Mm. Shoe by Bill, he gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Somehow I missed this one. You said they're on a date? Yep, they went on a date. Okay, no. <laughs> Abstain! It was like a to, fake what, date. Was, they said they were going on a date, but it oh, was specifically man. so they could get away from Bizarro. Okay, well, abstain. I missed that one. This one, I feel like the Bizarro stuff is is taking the toll on the issue. I feel like they've been doing it longer than they probably should have. But anyway, Ragman, number five, Rory makes a deal with the demon, but it leads to a double cross by Tony. He gave it one out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Uh, abstain. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Titans number 20 with the team dissolved by the Justice League. The Titans tried to continue with their lives away from their friends. Roy, knee-deep in a drug bust mission, gets the unexpected help from Cheshire mm-hmm. to retrieve an original sample. This is by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a <laughs> neutral. Uh, yeah, unexpected help as in drugs and some sex. Uh, I'm going to give it a neutral as well. Just to be clear, he there was he didn't do drugs, no, but, they but were there, there was sex. The, yes, they did. But there, it looks Just, like it. <laughs> okay, go. Justice League of America number 24, the introduction of Promethea into the DC Universe is continued as the redemption of Frost is told. This is by Tony. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Suicide Squad number 35, Amanda Waller sees her empire falling apart as Hack returns to exact revenge on the Suicide Squad. This is by Paul. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Dark Knights Rising, The Wild Hunt, number one, as the League faces off against the Dark Knights. The story of Detective Chimp is told, who may have a larger role than anyone in the DC Universe in saving the world. This was by Corbin. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Of course you would. Abstain. Anybody out there who loves monkeys, I know that I know there's some of you out there who, you know, appreciated my Monkey Watch 2017. I know it's sure. been like almost a year since that. It needs to be 2018 but, now. Yeah, well, now it's 2018. I'm not going to bring it back because I felt like I was jumping the shark with the Monkey Watch 2017. But that being said, if you appreciate monkeys, even if you don't like what's going on with metal and ever all of that stuff, read it just for the Detective Chimp stuff. It's some great stuff, and I really anticipate that detective chimp is going to have a major major role within the dc universe and basically it's laid out as he's going to be basically the keeper of all of dc history that's basically the way they're they're going so like the watcher yeah all right secondary dc universe books dead man dead man number four razel ghoul appears in the issue gotham city garage number nine which includes digital chapters 17 through 18 Gotham City Garage versions of Harley Quinn, Batman, Black Canary, and Red Hood all appear in the issue. New Superman and the Justice League of China, number 20, as part of the new Justice League of China, Batman and Robin Bot both appear in the issue. Sideways number one, the origin of Sideways is told, which includes ties to the Challenger Mountain appearing in Gotham City during the Dark Knight's Metal event. And then finally, The Flash, number 40, Batman makes a brief cameo alongside the Justice League in the issue. As far as TBU trades and hardcovers, we have Teen Titans by Jeff Johns, book two, trade paperback. Batman Legacy, volume two, trade paperback. Batman Secrets, Sam Keith, gallery edition, hardcover. Batman The Golden Age, volume four, trade paperback. Nightwing, volume seven, Shrike, trade paperback. 
Batman and the Outsiders, Volume 2, Hardcover, Titans, Volume 3, A Judas Among Us, Trade Paperback, and DC Meets Looney Tunes, Trade Paperback. So that is everything that came out with the last two weeks. If you heard us give a thumbs up, thumbs down, or a neutral, all of those books, we have detailed reviews and synopses of each and every single one of those issues over on the site. We have new reviews popping up Monday, Thursday, and Friday every single week. Monday for all the Batman-specific books, all the Greater Gotham stuff, which includes the Nightwing, the Red, Harley Quinn, Red Hood, Batgirl, Birds of Prey, all that stuff pops up on Thursday. And all the DC Universe stuff that includes characters from the Batman Universe, which is mostly team books or event-type books, that stuff all comes out on Friday. So be sure to check out the website Monday through Friday for all the reviews related to the books that released over the past week. And then if you don't care about all of that, but just want to know what the ratings were, we have a nice little review roundup that posts on Saturday mornings for you over on the site as well. So with that, we're going to jump straight over to thank our Patreon supporters for the month. That's right. If you have a desire to support TBU in any way, shape or form, even a dollar helps out because a dollar might cover some of the fees that we have over on Patreon. If you can share a dollar every single month or five dollars literally less than a cup of coffee in most cases please do so your money will help support tbu and we are currently in the process of completely revamping the entire website it is not a cheap cheap thing to do but it's taking much longer than anticipated just because of the amount of money that we have to work with if we had more money we could do it a little bit quicker but at this point we have what we have so if you have the ability to help us out and make a donation. Even if you go to Patreon, you can even make a one-time donation. You have to sign up for a monthly donation every single month. You could just sign up for a one-time donation and then support TBU that way. I also am going to be potentially, we're coming up on a year very shortly here in a couple months that we're going to be coming up on a year that we've been on Patreon. And I'm thinking about changing up some of the reward tiers for some different rewards and potentially one of the things i'm going to be introducing when we do the new version of the website is we're going to have a tbu merch shop which will have some exclusive t-shirts and some other minor pieces of merchandise and things i haven't laid out everything but t-shirts are going to be something um, so one of the reward tiers could potentially have a t-shirt or something like that or a discount for a t-shirt or something like that so if you have ideas that you'd like to see become part of the reward tiers over on the site, let us know. Shoot me an email, tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. I will take those comments to heart because I always do and potentially use some of your suggestions for the revamped rewards tier that I'm hoping to do in the next couple months when we launch the new version of the site. So outside of that, also, if we get enough money, the intent is to also launch a video podcast that will cover Batman news and things like that. We also want to bring back the normal TBU podcast, and it's just a matter of funds available to do certain projects at this point. So any support is greatly appreciated. Like I said, even a dollar every single month, that helps us out too. So please do that. For those of you who have supported us in the past, I know some of you, uh, that support us during the holiday months. Our holiday giveaway happened and we were able to ship out some prizes for some of the people who won the raffles. So thank you to those people. Thank you to everybody else who supports us at the $25 and $10 range as well as the $5 range. Lisa, Jerry, No Deuces, Stephanie, Ian, Robert, and I hope I'm saying this right, Emil. Thank you for helping us out 
and everybody else who's supporting us at the lower tiers, thank you very much as well. Any help is greatly appreciated in supporting TBU. Outside of that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! We just have a couple this time around. Two of them deal with the exact same thing. And we'll start off with the controversy between the Batman and Wonder Woman story and how it was potentially ripped off from another series. So, Stella, read those first two questions for us. Did you know that this Batman Wonder Woman story has already been done? And then uh, that was from Roger. And then DC Fan for Life said it was ripped off from Action Comics number 761. Yes. So the controversy was a couple days before Batman number 39 released, the press gets their copies of the book in advance normally, and they have the weekend to read. And it was over the weekend, right before the release, that suddenly there was these rumors that was popping up online that Tom King is a plagiarizer Uh. and he stole story ideas from some, a creative team that worked on action comics back it was it was a long time ago. It was somewhere in I think the late nineties is when the issue came out seven six one. The thing is, so basically the the way the connection was made was I guess whoever read the issue they were they're more of us they're more focused on Superman comics. When they read the story, they saw the comparison. Basically, this the gist of Action Comics seven six one. For those of you who don't know or don't pay attention to Superman comics from a Superman comic twenty something years ago. Basically, the story is right after the story of Lois Lane and Clark Kent getting married, and there was a situation that happened where Superman had to leave Lois to go with Wonder Woman to some world, alternate world. I don't I don't know the extent of it because I just basically read the idea. It's basically the same thing. Wonder Woman and Superman go off, and they're away, and Wonder Woman is, you know, Wonder Woman, I guess, is the best way to put it. And Superman is tempted, and it's a very similar situation where is he going to do something with Wonder Woman even though he's with Lois Lane? The difference, obviously, is that this is it's not Superman, it's Batman, and Superman was married to Lois while Bruce is just engaged to Catwoman. Not that those comparisons are hugely different by most people's definitions because most people would consider engagement just as serious as wedding. But that was the gist. So the thing is, Tom King actually went on record when this happened. Someone confronted him and said, hey, you realize you stole this story idea? And he said, no, I have no idea what it is. I've never read that issue. What's the issue title? I'll give it a read and see what it is. He actually provided pictures of of himself buying the single issue from Action Comics on Comixology to show everybody that he's never read it. Not that that couldn't be doctored if it necessary, but <laughs> he he showed everybody, hey, look, I've never bought this issue. I don't even own this issue. I'm purchasing it right now on my, my tablet from Comixology. Gave it a read, said it, he completely saw the, the similarities and he had never read it in the past, never knew about the story, had no intention of trying to like steal a story idea from somebody else. But there was a big group of people who were who were very upset about all of this and claimed that Tom King was basically stealing stories, ideas from people. The reality of it is, is that Tom King 
just like any creator out there who works in the comic industry, has have, has to come up with story ideas for characters that have existed for 80, in some cases, 80 years or more. So the reality is it's very difficult to continue to write stories on for characters and not have some sort of overlap at some point or similarities or similar situations that pop up in these comics. Do I believe Tom King stole the story? No. I don't believe that he ever read the issue. Do I believe that there is enough to say that that uh, these people, you know, who accused him had, you know, had a, a concern? Yes, because it's definitely a very similar story. But at the same point, he didn't steal it. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just a case of there's a lot of comics out there and there's a lot of comics that have similarities between mm-hmm. them. Yes, this had a lot more similarities, but what it comes down to is it just, it's very difficult. Think about how many Batman comics release in a month that feature Batman. Sure. And then even, and look in the 90s and think about how many issues were coming out back then. We had at least four different series. In the beginning of the New 52, there was at least four series. Now we've got at least four issues per month with Detective Comics and Batman. That's not even including all the other books that he appears in or all the other miniseries and all that other stuff. Is it entirely possible that someone could write a story and not even have any idea that that story was already written? Yes, it is completely and utterly entirely possible. So there's no... And Tom King does not come across the type of guy who's going to try to steal an idea and not expect the comics community, which is... in quite, quite honestly, the comics community is one of those groups where if there's a connection to be made, someone's going to figure it out. It's not going to go unnoticed. So... Why would he have even attempted to do this if he was trying to steal the idea with not not understanding that this is going to be found out anyway? I don't think it was intentional, and I'm just going to leave it at that. So I'm not going to sit there and say that he, it was ripped off from 761. Yes, it's a similar story. It has a lot of similarities, but he didn't rip it off. So that's my thought. Yeah, and I think you know it gets to... A topic that we could always discuss at some point, which is original storytelling and if such a thing even exists, because I think we are entering this age where so many stories have been told that I think things subconsciously pop up, (laughs) you know, and are repeated or remind us of something else. Uh, You know, we've got movies that are getting remakes and it's only been 10 years or so since we've seen the past one things like that so uh, it does call into question original storytelling and if that even exists i also agree with you that tom king does not seem like the type of person who would steal an idea from anything else I, i think it's probably just happenstance and those things do happen i mean for crying out loud the guy focused on kite man who would who 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 what sort of person who's not creative would focus on you know someone like that they would just be doing whatever a or b tier villain is is sort of uh in vogue at the time not kite man so yeah i'm i mean I think it's just, uh, you know, one of those things, unfortunately, where the fan communities get really upset at different things. And I think it was just uh, an accident. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I kind of feel bad for the guy. I I haven't seen any of these tweets, but I'm sure they were probably vicious. Yeah, they were. He's actually been dealing with probably way more than most people have been dealing with. Because even when the Superman stuff was coming out, 
which was really great. And I didn't really see anybody complain about that. Even when that stuff was coming out, it was right after the solicitations came out for the Poison Ivy story. And the solicitation makes it seem like they're taking Poison Ivy, they're making Poison Ivy, you know, a true villain again by the by the way the solicitation is worded. Now, anybody out there who reads the solicitation and takes it at face value should know you should never do that because solicitations aren't written by the people who are writing the books. They're written by editors normally, and they're trying to hype up a book. They're not trying to do anything but sell a comic. That's what a solicitation is meant for. But the solicitation made it seem like Poison Ivy was becoming a true villain again. And there's an entire group of fans out there known as the Poison Ivy League. Mm -hmm. And they were super, super pissed about the idea that Poison Ivy could be potentially going, reverting back to her true villain state that was so prominent, Mm -hmm. you know, not in the last 10 years. And I think that he was getting a ton and a ton of flack for that. And even when the two issues that came out over that course with the Superman stuff was really good, sure. I don't think that he was getting as much, you know, compliments as he probably could have because he was getting so much negative yeah. stuff about everything happening with that one solicitation. Then we had that <laughs> that Gosh. that one-off issue with the kid who, you know, is that horrible kid who has his parents murdered. And <sighs> I think people were like, oh, man, you went crazy dark on this. And then people were super like, well, why did this Why did this issue even happen? They didn't understand why this was happening because the, you know, it was in the middle of the, the two Superman story or the two Superman issues and then the two Wonder Woman issues. That was happening in the middle and it fell out of place. And even though he explained, well, it was because I wanted Joelle Jones to do both Wonder Woman issues and she needed time to finish that. They got he got flack for that. Then the Wonder Woman issue comes out, and the first one with that whole situation with them potentially kissing, he got a massive amount of criticism because of that. I mean, like I didn't, I don't think I saw anybody out there who was in the mindset that maybe they wouldn't kiss. I think everybody thought that they were going to kiss. Which, I mean. <laughs> It is what it is, but man. But yeah, so then outside of that, I mean, like, it feels like he's just beginning like criticism after criticism after criticism. And I don't, and like, I feel bad for the guy in some ways because I just don't get it. I mean, the stuff's not, his stuff is not bad by any means. I think sometimes some of the stuff that he does is misunderstood until it's completely told. I think that's the biggest problem is like, if you read the the Wonder Woman issues together, they probably are fine and no one's going to complain about it. But if you read just that single issue, if anything, the guy needs to be criticized because the stuff that he's writing is is written better for trades. But the same thing could be said about somebody like Scott Snyder, too. So, yeah. I think he was prepared, potentially, for the spotlight. But when you're on a book that's Batman, and it is Batman... <laughs> I think, fortunately, there's a lot of focus, and uh, everyone's watching. A lot of focus. And sometimes with fans, with comic fans, which oftentimes are the worst people, honestly, you know, you can't do anything right. So someone's going to be up in arms at some point. I will say, though, it's not his fault with Poison Ivy. You know, that, that character's not been written consistently ever. So, you know, it's his take on it. So do do what you want. We haven't read that story yet, have we? No, it's the. Okay. It's next. That is actually going to be the next next uh, episode. Okay. That I think she pops okay. up. Okay, well, I'll let you know. But again, she's not been written very consistently, even in the past. I would say five years. So. All right. So 
Our last comment comes from Ian. Ian. I do think that both Batman and Detective Comics are starting to show the strain of doing two issues a month. King has had to throw in filler issues like The Secret Origin of Bruce Wayne with Clay Man to allow Joe L. Jones to do both issues of the Wonder Woman arc. And Tynion's issues for the past two months have had only fill-in artists instead of the wonderful consistency of the Intelligence arc or even the teamwork of the Lonely Place of Living arc. It's rumored that Barrows is off the book after the annual, but DC hasn't made an announcement that someone has taken his place. Hopefully editorial doesn't just keep throwing fill-in artists at the book, since while many of them are wonderful artists in their own right, Detective is a book that deserves a consistent art team. So there's two parts of this comment that I want to touch on. The first one is the idea of the two issues a month. So we talked about this briefly at the, I believe it was during listener Q&As the last time around, about what books do we potentially see turning into monthly instead of twice per month. And the thing is, with Action Comics and Superman going to monthly, I don't know that anybody is anybody out there is actually thinking that every book, including Batman and Detective Comics, I mean, the thing is, Batman sells extremely well, even though it comes out twice a month. There, there's no real reason they need to chop it down. But if they did it to Detective Comics and Batman was the only series that was still doing every you know twice a month it seems odd that they would they would go that route there's no reason detective comics couldn't go down to monthly by any means the sales are not skyrocketed where you know something like batman where it's selling close to 100,000 issues per month but i will say that batman has it does slightly go down almost every single month i mean it, it's not by, it's not by a lot by any means it's a very small amount but it does go down just a tiny bit every single month which just tends to be what happens. So maybe the result is make it a monthly with the intent of, you know, not having those the drops happen as much, but I don't I don't know if that would actually matter in the longer larger scheme of things. As far as Detective Comics goes, I haven't honestly heard a whole lot from Tynan and part of it has to do with the fact that for whatever reason his one of his New Year's resolutions this year was to get off of Twitter <laughs> because he one. said he felt like Twitter was a toxic toxic environment and i don't don't blame him i mean like there is so outside just the stuff that pops up in my timeline i'll be honest with you i don't follow a whole lot of people on twitter i literally follow things that are all related to the website official accounts like warner brothers dc stuff like that and then i follow the the staff members that we have on the site and that's basically the extent of who i follow i don't follow celebrities or other people i don't because i just don't find the need for it but just the few people that I follow, just seeing, having retweets and stuff, it doesn't even matter who you follow nowadays. It feels like Twitter has become this massive argument place for politics. And not to say that anybody is specifically doing that, but it just seems like as I roll through my Twitter feed or timeline every single day, compared to, let's say, two years ago before a certain person took office, it seems like politics is the thing that everybody wants to discuss. And, like, I don't personally want to go on Twitter and find everything there is to know about the stupid tweets that a certain person out there decides to send out to the entire nation. Um, I just don't. I don't want that part of it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we, as TBU, are a form of entertainment. You know, we produce podcasts. You listen to those podcasts. We're entertainment. If you come to the site to read reviews, our critiques on things, our editorials, to read news. We're a form of entertainment. So we're not the place to 
publicize political opinions and things like that. It's not, that's not, that's not what we're intended for. We are an escapism for you to get away from that stuff. And I feel like in today's day and age, there is so much of that happening, no matter where you turn, that it's almost impossible to not be bombarded with it. So do I blame Tynan for getting off of Twitter? No, but it's super unfortunate because it feels like he's super less involved in promoting his stuff and being involved with just the fan community and things like that, answering questions from fans and things like that. So to me, it's a shame that something like that has happened where he had, he felt the need to get off of Twitter for that reason. But because of that, it feels like he's not really talking about his book. And I'm wondering if he is going to potentially be leaving the series and not going to be going all the way to, you know, issue 1000 as he originally planned, which would be a shame, but I, but I don't have any basis behind that other than I just don't see a lot of promotion for Detective Comics. And it's a shame, but the art situation is a major thing. And not to say that the art issue to issue is, is horribly, drastically different by any means. It's not. They have a gr- good group of artists that have a very similar style where it's not you know, jarring to go from one issue to the next. But at the same time, I definitely feel what Ian's saying with, you know, it's not a consistent situation where we have an artist doing multiple issues or a story arc. And some of these story arcs that Tiny is telling, you know, are six to eight issues long. And there's nobody who's drawing six to eight issues at a time at this point, even on Batman, that's not happening. The Mikel Janin and David Finch, who are the original artists in the beginning. Now there's like four potentially different teams attached to Batman just to make sure that somebody's doing different arts. I mean, Clay Mann keeps doing all these fill-in titles. He did the artist, uh, the Kite Man stuff. He did that secret origin of Bruce Wayne story. Joel Jones is now doing a, a group of stories. We've got Tony Daniel coming back on issue number 45. Meanwhile, Mikel Jannon's coming back too. So, I mean, like, there's literally like four different art teams working on Batman simultaneously just to make sure that the story arcs are in some way connected which is a shame in my opinion but that's the way it is so i feel like the art situation is something where you know if they don't have the ability to have four art teams because the book is selling almost a hundred thousand issues per month then it's very difficult to have that many art teams dedicated to a series and that's probably why we're seeing what's happening with detective comics and the art team happen i have nothing to add all right so With that, that is all of our listener Q&As. If you have comments or suggestions or questions that you would like us to answer on the next episode, be sure to head over to the website and leave those in the comments section below the podcast post. You can also leave those questions. You can tweet us at The Batman Universe. Leave the comments on the YouTube video for this episode as well. You can leave us comments basically wherever, as long as we see them, we will get them answered on the next episode. Outside of that, be sure to check out Everything that we have to offer on the website, we have news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics, posting all the time. We have comic reviews, new editorials posting up every single week, so be sure to check out all that stuff. If you are very interested in DC film news, I mean, obviously we don't have anything related to the Batman at this point because we don't know exactly when that's going to be happening, but there is Shazam, Wonder Woman 2, Suicide Squad 2, all coming very soon here. Aquaman's coming out at the end of this year. All those other movies I just mentioned are going to be filming over the next year. So we have a new article series on the website that posts on Friday afternoons called DC Film Update, which covers everything there is with DC Film. 
basically just because most of it's not worth putting into a single article, but all collectively, there's actually a good chunk of it every single week when you group it all up. So Dan puts that together. Obviously, check out last week in the Batcave every single week. Uh, Jessica puts that out on Monday mornings. And then uh, over the next two weeks, you will hear a new episode of Bat Books for Beginners. If you are listening to this, there's actually two new episodes of Bat Oracle that just recently released. Um, one for Valentine's Day and one of her normal episodes. And then there's also a new Bat Fans. There's new Ever- Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. So there's tons of stuff for you to check out over on the site. So be sure to do all of that. Outside of that, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Babbing Universe. Leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I mentioned, leave your comments on the podcast post over on the site. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.